Hey, this is Rob. This is Eric. And you're listening to the Start Good Things podcast. This is season two. And you might be wondering, who are you? Well, that's a great question. With a simple answer. Yeah. In fact, we're believers. Yeah. Like in Jesus, uh, we believe he's, he's everything and he's worth following with everything. And we believe in other things too. We believe in a better future. And we believe in and we're for humanity. And though we're ordinary, we believe obviously that there are things that are far more extraordinary. In fact, we believe that ordinary people working together can accomplish extraordinary things. So we started this podcast to both inspire and hopefully equip you to start good things of your own. Uh, Let's get on with today's episode. Today we're looking at some of my favorite material we use in our community to help people start good things. Now these next four episodes deal with something we call advance, where you will be encouraged to make a choice, take a chance, and create a change. Thank you guys for coming. That's so kind of you. Uh, and it's, uh, it wasn't even very bad in traffic. That's a joke. That's the first joke. <laughs> the rest will be way better. Uh, can we thank uh, book people, Micah and Marco and the team? If you don't know, this is Texas' not just largest independent bookstore, best independent bookstore. And so it, uh, be sure you buy something. It doesn't have to be my book but something, in fact, Don Tate's here in the front row. You can buy his book. That's right over here. Another option for you. There it is, uh, you're holding it up right there. There it is. Um, there it is. Yeah, so thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, if you're not familiar with my book, I thought I might share just a few stories from the book rather than read them to you. Uh, but the book originated uh, 10 years ago. This is actually the 10th anniversary of this book. And um, originally, uh, I grew up in Texas. Any of you grew up in Texas? All right, several of us. How many of you grew up in Austin? Oh, you're like unicorns. There's very few. So good to see you. So I grew up in the Bible Belt part of Texas. That's not like Austin, right? And my experience growing up in Dallas was uh, a church experience that was... um, unintentionally perhaps more judgmental maybe even more hypocritical you had to pretend to be somebody you weren't and then after graduating from uh, college I got married to Deborah my wife and we moved to Seattle and then we moved to Los Angeles and over the next 17 years I really discovered kind of a different way that people of faith could be living should be living and so in many ways this book is a is a journey kind of telling my story, but also I tried to write about how people of faith could move beyond that negative stereotype. So originally I sent this off to the publisher and uh, I wanted to call it uh, uh, something else, uh, I can't remember the original title, but the, 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 the subtitle was Embracing the People Christians Love to Hate. And they thought that was too mean. And in fact, then they sent back the the original manuscript and said, you're being too judgmental of people who are judgmental. (laughs) And so I had to rework it. And and as I did, I I really rewrote the story with more of an awareness of where I had come from and where I was growing and hoping to be. And and so one of the stories I share in the book, uh, when we moved to Seattle, I was... Uh, we were both about 22 years old. We were young, and we were asked to help at this church plant, and we were going to start a youth program. And there were seven adults, Deborah and I and five others, 
and we were so excited. We worked really hard for this event we called Youth Explosion 94. <laughs> the year was 1994. And for some reason, we thought Youth Explosion was a good idea. So we worked really hard. We, we planned, we prepared, and then the event came and not one teenager showed up. Do you know how embarrassing it is to be a youth pastor with no youth? Well, that was my experience. So in that moment, I encouraged everybody. I said, you know what? Maybe the kids forgot it was tonight. You know, maybe we just need to go give them a ride. So a couple of us got in a car. One went left and I went right. And I literally had this thought, if I kept driving all the way back to Texas, I won't have to face the humiliation. But then I remembered my wife was back at the building. So I'm going to have to come back. So I might as well find a teenager. So I drove down the hill over to Nathan Hale High School and there was a kid playing basketball all by himself. I thought, perfect. So I jumped out of the car. I greeted him with a you know, big smile on my face and with as much enthusiasm as I could muster, I said, hey, did you hear about Youth Explosion 94? And he looked at me kind of surprised. I said, it's happening right now. And he looks over at his bicycle and I read his mind. I think, don't worry, I'll give you a ride. You don't have to ride up the hill. So I picked up his bicycle and I put it in the trunk of my car. And I said, get in. And he did. So we started driving up the hill and I introduced myself. I said, my name's Eric. He looked at me and said, my name's Saeed Abdu. Now people on the West Coast have unusual names for their children. A few years later when we had children, uh, we were in Lamaze class. Some of our friends were having babies. The first baby born from our Lamaze class was named Fiona Maeve Zerwinski. This was before Shrek. You know, so the one, Fiona wasn't even a popular name. The next baby born from our Lamaze class was named Planet Moses Boniface Canalis. Yes, they called him Moses. I just called him Pimo. That was my name for him. And then we named our son Caleb. We had never met a little boy named Caleb, and so for us it was kind of unique. But we couldn't agree on the middle name. I wanted him to be Caleb Michael. That means courageous messenger. But Deborah wanted to name him Caleb Ellis, which is her maiden name. But my thoughts are, if he doesn't like Caleb, he can't go by Ellis. We're not big people, you know? And so in the end, we couldn't agree, and we named him Caleb Michael Ellis Bryant. Sounds like a law firm. His, his name means courageous messenger in a field, which is not what I was going for. But he's an amazing young man now. But all of that to say, Saeed Udu didn't fit even the, the abnormal West Coast categories. And so then I said, oh, well, where are you from? And that's when he told me he was from Eritrea which, come to find out, is next to Ethiopia. And as we drove up the hill, I discovered that he was Muslim, and he was an immigrant. And I remember thinking to myself, of all the kids I could have picked up for Youth Explosion 94, <laughs> I picked up Saeed. Well, we come around the corner, and there was another teenager there with her dad. Youth Explosion 94 was on. <laughs> Eight adults, two kids. We played games, we ate cupcakes, we had lots of cupcakes, there were plenty to go around. And you know, something amazing happened. Uh, Saeed kept coming to our youth group every Wednesday night, even as he would go to the mosque on Fridays. And four years go by, he invited more friends to our youth group than any other kid. And at the end of the four years, I asked him, I said, Saeed, why did you invite so many friends to our youth group? And he looked at me and said, well, you were my first friend. And come to find out, he began to describe that it's very difficult to move to America because as an immigrant, people didn't usually hang out with immigrants. As someone who was poor compared to others, 
12 people living in a three-bedroom apartment. People don't usually spend time with people who are poor. People don't usually spend time with people who look differently. People don't usually spend time with people who believe differently. And he said, I knew that your youth group would be a place where my friends from Eritrea could have their first American friend. And I remember feeling guilty because just a few months before, I remember trying to study up on Islam because I want to have a debate with him. You know, my God could beat up your God kind of moment. And as I had a conversation with him, I realized, oh my goodness, I knew more about Islam than he did. He told me his parents took him to the mosque every Friday and he didn't really want to go. I said, that's just like my childhood. My parents drove me to church too. We have a lot more in common than I thought. But then I asked him, I said, on this last conversation, before he's graduated, before we're moving to Los Angeles, I said, Asaid, why did you even come with me that very first night? A big smile came across his face. He said, I thought you were kidnapping me. <laughs> you put my bicycle in the trunk of your car. I hardly knew any English. Now, I do not recommend kidnapping Muslim children. But I do recommend befriending a Muslim. My life is better because of my friendship with Saeed. And along the way, I, I've shared that story before, and I had a, someone, a, a person of faith, person connect, connected to a church say, how could you let someone who believes differently as part of your youth group? Like, isn't the church supposed to be a place to protect our kids? And she gave me just the greatest example. I said, you know what? Actually, kids are a perfect example we always allow kids to belong whether or not they believe, right? When kids are born, they come out pagan. I don't know if you've met any children, they're beautiful and lovely, but they have their very own ideas of what should be the center of the universe and it's usually them. Now I have two kids at Austin High, one's a senior, one's a sophomore, and lovely young adults. I'm very proud of my kids. And I'll tell you, even as little ones, they were so cute, but did you know that babies begin to lie, they tell us, by six months? And so when Trevi was born, I remember very vividly, when she was born, she came out screaming, but not like a baby. It was more like a velociraptor. <laughs> it was a very scary moment. She's the sweetest little girl, but a strong little, loud little girl. When she was two, she would take my hand and take me to the closet and point at what she wanted to wear. And if I grabbed the wrong skirt, she would yell at me. And that's when I realized she was going to grow up, this strong little girl, to either be the next Mother Teresa or a dictator of a small country. Like it's going to be one or the other. And then when she was three, I asked her, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be a leader? And she looked at me like it was a stupid question. She said, I'm already a leader. And you know, it was true. Every Saturday morning, without fail, my son, who was six at the time, would wake up first, go to the living room, and turn on ESPN. You know how proud it made me to hear in the morning, da-da-da, da-da-da, that was a great way to wake up. But then his younger sister, three years younger, would wake up, come into the living room, and he'd immediately change the channel to cartoons and hand her the remote control. <laughs> she was the leader. You know, pray for my son. But then a year later, I was having a conversation with her, and I asked Trevi, I said, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be president of the United States? She said, yes, I want my picture on the dollar. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a politician? Uh, about that same time, my son got baptized. And so uh, it's this beautiful, you know, this, this beautiful symbol of dying to your old life and being risen to a new life. It's, 
symbolic of what Jesus did for us, dying and rising from the dead. And so I asked Trevi, I said, Trevi, would you like to follow Jesus? And she said, I already told Jesus I would be his leader. <laughs> well, that was not what I expected to hear. As a pastor, my four-year-old daughter was starting her own world religion in which Jesus followed her. Pray for my daughter. <laughs> well, two years later, uh, oh, I should tell you. So about that time, what do we do? Right? We have this child starting our own world religion. And so we kicked her out of the house. Right? We couldn't, we had to protect our son from her. Of course not. We just stopped feeding her for a season, right? Until she repented. Of course we didn't do that either. We continue to love her and have hard conversations. See, a loving community is both inclusive and willing to have honest conversations and know the right time to do that. So at the age of six, on the way to Trader Joe's in South Pasadena, she decides to follow Jesus in a conversation with my wife, Deborah. Well, I heard about this. I was very excited. The next time we're all in the car, I said, Trevi, I heard you want to be baptized. And Caleb said, oh, she already baptized herself in the bathtub. <laughs> so we had another hard conversation. She's a lovely young lady now. But what I realized is if we just treated everyone's kids the way we, want, the way we treat our kids, allowing people to belong whether or not they believe, and that's actually what the church should be. That's what, actually how it was designed. And so this book is really kind of a way for people of faith to learn to love and serve and influence in a way that is different than the negative stereotype. And actually, I'm so grateful, and many of you are part of such a, a beautiful community. Gateway Church uh, is where we all say all the time, come as you are, and we mean that no matter what your struggles may be, no matter what your background may be. And it gives us the opportunity to just be honest with where we're at. We don't have to pretend. And then in that process, as we come as we are, we can grow to no longer stay as we are. Uh, I was joking this past Sunday. I, I'm at Gateway Church in South Austin. Uh, we meet at William Cannon and uh, Westgate Boulevard at 9.30, 11, and 6. And uh, I had mentioned that we say no perfect people allowed. And that's just this idea of coming and being authentic. It also lowers everyone's expectations of us as they come. And by the way, Gateway also meets in uh, McCallum High School, Gateway Central. In fact, there's Kenny Green right over there. Hey, Kenny. Um, by the way, Kenny and I are rivals in the Super Bowl on February the 4th. February the 4th, you can watch online or go to Gateway Central, Gateway South, or Gateway North. It's going to be a showdown. Last year, he won two of three. Worthy opponent. Uh, John Burke, our senior pastor, will be in on this as well as Justin McCarty. So it'll be a lot of fun. Tailgating. I heard there's like root beer kegs. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true. That's I've heard stuff like that. But that's uh, our attempt, right, is to create a community that Jesus actually intended. And some of us have wounds because we've been part of communities that weren't uh, valuing authenticity. Now, the original version of this book, this is actually the 10th anniversary edition. It's hard to believe, 10 years have gone by. And the original version was called Peppermint-Filled Pinatas. Now, uh, any of you heard of the book called Blue Like Jazz? So this was coming out about the same time that was really popular. So my publisher thought, I have an idea, let's call it something no one knows what it means. People love that. And, uh, and then he quit, <laughs> right as the book came out. Uh, but there's a story in the book 
that, uh, oh, I should tell you, a couple years later, a, a church in Chicago did a, a sermon series through the book, but they're from Chicago, so they don't know what a pinata is. So they just called their sermon series, Not Like Me, and used the book. And so that's how the new title came, Not Like Me. And then this version, I rewrote some of the chapters, edited the whole thing. There's also some input from different people. Uh, uh, Amina Brown, a poet out of Atlanta. Uh, Gerardo Marty, a professor from Davidson College. Uh, and lots of other really great folks. Uh, John Burke wrote a foreword. Erwin McManus wrote a foreword. But all that to say, uh, Peppermint Field Pinata is my last story. Um, I am, just to know my heritage, as I said, I'm from Texas, and so a lot of Germans here in Texas, so I'm part German, I'm part Scottish, and I'm all tightwad. That's kind of how I was raised. And so when we were throwing a birthday party, our kids are both born in the summer, I convinced my sweet wife to let's combine their parties, it'll save a little money, one pinata, right? And so I had one job, she sent me out to go get candy. Because I'm a tightwad, I could not believe the great deal I found on peppermints. 600 for six dollars my thoughts you know it's a, these are little kids it's a pinata they just want to hit with a bat right and then get something sweet well my wife completely disagreed with me she thought it was a ridiculous idea these kids do not want peppermints and so she went off and bought real candy and i was stuck with these peppermints literally for years i couldn't even get rid of them at halloween the kids would just say no thank you and go to the next house so she was right. And here's the interesting thing. Have you ever seen kids in a pinata? It's dangerous, right? They are swinging bats and other children are ready to run around. And so we're holding these kids back. And it's interesting though, the moment they break through the pinata, the candy comes out, it's just mass chaos. They all want to get the best candy. And so what I started to realize is oftentimes uh, the church has been like a peppermint filled pinata. In order to break through, you have to know the right words, you have to know the songs, you have to dress the right way, you have to pretend to be someone you're not. And once you finally break through, all that you get is something that's sweet but not satisfying. But actually, the message of the scriptures is one where loving God and loving people is actually possible. That people of faith should not be known for what they're against, but known for how they love and how they treat others. And so to me, uh, this book is really kind of my hope in helping us become more the church God intended. Um, so with all that said, thank you again for coming and just grateful that you're here. Um, if you're uh, unfamiliar with Gateway, you can find out more about us at gatewaychurch.com. Uh, I do have a website if any of you want to um, stay connected um, through my little newsletter. Just go to Eric Bryant. Org and you can sign up there and we'll start sending you a newsletter from time to time. But let's once again, let's thank book people for having us here tonight. And I think uh, the instructions are for what's next. Did we have time? All right, we'll do a little Q&A. If you have a question, you want to ask a question, I'd be happy to help. Any questions, comments, sarcastic remarks? Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. All right. You want to teach them now? Yeah. Okay. You're going to sign now, right? Well, actually, we had a question. Oh, Yeah, go ahead. I was wondering, Eric, in the 10 years since the first published book and now, have you seen a shift in the church? You know, certainly some good and some not so good. 
uh, I, I kind of alluded to this, I didn't say it very clearly, but I rewrote three chapters in particular. Culturally, things have changed a great deal uh, when it comes to ethnicity, when it comes to morality, when it comes to politics. Those three chapters almost started over just because so much has changed. And, and in many ways, part of the dilemma for people of faith is when we uh, get connected to a political party or when we are known for what we're against. And in reality, you know, what I really try to encourage, whether you're online or in personal relationships, you represent God and his love for people, so that's actually how we should treat people. And so I do think there are more and more communities of faith that are trying to be places where you can come as you are, where you can belong, whether or not you believe. Um, but at the same time, you can also see culturally, uh, sometimes the church becomes a place that tries to hide from the world, tries to protect uh, people from the world, and as a result, we end up uh, kind of pointing fingers and throwing stones, which isn't really, it's the exact opposite of actually what Jesus said. So thank you for that, yeah. to see you, yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, Tamara. So you started out with the story with youth ministry, so I was just wondering if you could maybe point out some things that people can learn about acceptance and love from youth, like what can this old people learn? <laughs> <laughs> well, great question. I do think that, you know, having high school kids, our kids are growing up in a, in a world very different than the world I grew up in, in some ways very positive. Um, I do think that there is a sense of, when you see little kids and the way they interact and even teenagers, you know, to some degree, there's more kind of clicks in high school and that sort of thing. But kids don't seem to ha see any difference and actually embrace people who are willing to play with them, right? It's as we grow up that we start to put up, you know, walls around us. And I do think that um, really this all can change. We can change. We can actually love people we disagree with. We can actually create bonds with people who might vote differently, look differently, believe differently. Um, and so it's not just about being a part of a community that invites people into, you know, on a Sunday morning, but actually being people who invite folks into our homes, invite people out to lunch. Um, Austin is a fast-growing city, and it's becoming more and more diverse, and so should our friendships. So should who we read. You know, so to me, I think that some of what our teenagers do naturally, we can certainly learn from. And along the way, you know, just knowing that um, a friend, I'll say it this way, stereotypes exist when friendships don't. Stereotypes exist when friendships don't. I actually wrote a book about over, I mean, yes, you know that. I wrote a chapter in this book and called it White Men Can Jump, Just Not As High. And it's about overcoming stereotypes. No one likes to be stereotyped. But the way to get past that is through relationship. So thank you for that great question. Yeah. Any other questions? Two over here. Oh, yes. Ben. Um, seeing as how there are so, seemingly so many um, people in religious circles, in Christian circles, um, who are so quick to condemn, to judge, to stereotype, and in fact use scripture to do so, do you have any scriptures or things where you can, like, lo with love, shut them down? <laughs> Let me just say, uh, the, the scriptures are, have been, over the centuries, uh, misinterpreted, misused, uh, used to oppress. But actually, what's beautiful is if you actually read what is written, instead of take you know, parts out here and there, you'll start to see it's an incredibly liberating book. 
And in fact, I'll give you a resource. I've told you about this before, but some of you may not have heard of uh, the Bible Project. If you go to Bible, or I think it's Join the Bible Project, or just Google Bible Project, every single book in the Bible, there's like a five to eight minute kind of, here's the context. So when you're reading it, you'll start to see, oh my goodness, wow. Like actually, the Bible's not oppressing women, it's actually liberating women. In a time when women, for example, uh, were seen as property and men would marry multiple wives, it literally says uh, not to divorce. It also says women should learn. Now it goes on to say in quietness and full submission, which we read as like, whoa. But actually, it's remarkable, it's revolutionary because it says women should learn. And it's, in the, it's, it's nations informed by Christianity that actually insisted that women should go to school, girls should go to school. And so there's this uh, sense of, if you know the context of this ancient document, I mean, it's written 2,000 to 4,000 years old, so of course there are things that won't make sense to us. But if we understand the context, the, the Bible can actually become a portal into God's presence. It, it can become a love letter from God. We can see how God interacts with people, both good and bad. Uh, the Bible's filled with all, it's rated R, really, if you read the Bible. Uh, there are certain parts you should not send your children to read until they're older. But I, I love the Gospel of John, to go back to your question. Rather than to shut people down, uh, point them back to who Jesus is and how he treated people. And really, you know, lovingly challenge and encourage people to consider, is this something that you are doing out of fear? Or is this something you're doing because uh, it's what God would want you to do? And most of the time, it's human nature to revert to fear. It's human nature to... Uh, hang out with people just like us and stay away from people who are not like us. Wait, did I say that right? Yeah. Patrick. Simple question. Did the young kid continue going to church? Saeed? Saeed? Yeah, he came for four years. And uh, although, you know, we had multiple conversations about faith and, and really for him, following Jesus was never a part of his journey with us, but several of his friends uh, did. Uh, follow, you know, Jesus and come to faith. Uh, and I'm friends with a Saeed Abdu, but I'm not sure it's the right one on Facebook. <laughs> Apparently that's like John Smith. There's a lot of Saeed Abdus. And so I've messaged him saying, are you the Saeed Abdu from Nathan Hill High School? And I haven't heard back, but he did accept my friend request. So uh, one day I hope to find out more about what's happened for him. Yeah. Hey. What is your hope for people who read this book or challenge to people who are reading this? Thank you for asking that. Hope for the book. If you are a person of faith, I hope it will challenge you in, in, in becoming someone known by your love. If you're a person without faith, my hope is it will paint a picture of what the church should be and could be. And uh, we'll be the first to acknowledge uh, we do not represent God well, oftentimes. But if you can get past our hypocrisy, you'll discover a loving God who's actually very patient and longs to know you just as uh, he continues to pursue you. So thank you for that. Any other questions? One last question. Yes. Sure, sure, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so you always have a lot of books around you, and you always, when I talk to you, amaze me because you know so much. How many books do you read a week? <laughs> I start reading about five books a week. How many books I finish is a whole different thing. I'm probably in the middle of several different books. Uh, uh, are you guys familiar with Myers-Briggs? Some of you are familiar with Myers-Briggs. So intuitives, 
when we say we've read a book, we mean we get the gist of what it says. <laughs> so sensing folks will, if you, they will not say I've read this book unless they've read every word, uh, because they're more honest, I think, than intuitive. And so I, I do love to read, but I, I'm afraid I'm not as, uh, as, I don't complete as many books as I start. I'll just say it like that. Uh, but I will say again, like I said, just maybe this is a great way to end it. Uh, this is a great bookstore. There's some great drinks downstairs. Uh, if you don't come here often, make it a part of your normal life. It's usually easier to get here than Tuesday at 6. Uh, but thank you so much for coming tonight. And then, Micah, if you don't mind, come tell us what you want us to do next. Thank you guys so much. Well, you've been listening to Season 2 of the Start Good Things podcast, where both Eric and I are excited to share with you some of the resources and people we've come across on our journeys over the past 20 years. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go start something good.